Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Yo, what up? This is Casino Talk Radio, and it's fresh. And I got my partner, Crown Bomber Clyde. Bomber Clyde, where you at? Right here, homie. You know the deal. And I got my other partner, Crown Dankers. Where you at? What it do? What it do, Fresh? Chilling, chilling. So, hip hop heads, our guest this evening is straight out of Houston. He's the CEO of the legendary Big Time Records. He's one of the original moguls who helped push and mold the Houston hip hop way from behind the scenes. He's known for putting on legendary acts such as the Honorable UGK, South Park Coalition, Point Blank, PSK 13, and the classic, untouchable, unforgettable DJ Scoop, 3 in the morning. He's here to tell us his story and everything that he has going on nowadays. So hip-hop heads, give it up for the Honorable Russell Washington. What's going on, Russell? Hey, how's it going, man? Great. Yeah, just great to have you on the show, man. And uh, getting into it, man, you know, what part of Houston you from and what made you want to get into music? Uh, I'm from the Southwest, man. And uh, I had a store a couple years, and um, I just... Had saved up a little money, and I just wanted to try, man. It honestly was just a try. Right. Just wanted to see what the experience was to just do a record. And I tried to put up a sign, and first group showed up was UGK, so the rest is history. Right. So um, um, when when you first met UGK, you know, what what was they like, man? Uh, it, it was originally Pimp C and Big Mitch, right? Well, yeah, Mitch was in the group, but uh, when I my first experience of meeting them, it was just it was just pimp and bun. But it was actually four of them, man. You know, I forget the other guy's name, but I I mean it was four guys. And uh, by the time we started recording, which was a little later after we met, it just had whittled down to just bun and pimp. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what was it like when uh, when they was putting putting together? The sudden way, uh, did, did y'all expect for it to become as big as it did when y'all had dropped Tell Me Something Good? No, man. Actually, we, we really didn't. I mean, we didn't have no expectations because it was the first fall of us, man. We was just trying. I had never did a record, and, you know, it was their first record. But all we believed, but, you know, you never know what a record until you put it out there and everybody else just start telling you what they feel. Right. So... <clears throat> What was the atmosphere like when when the popularity had popped off uh, and everybody was playing there? Tell me something good. Because it was great. <laughs> I mean, it, I can tell you the first experience of me and my ex-wife and Bob being in the car and hearing the song on the radio the first time, and we we thought it was great. We thought it was great. It was, you know. Man, I don't know how you can really explain the feeling, but it was just—it felt like the greatest day of your life, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, do do you have any memorable stories of them uh, dealing with Pimp Bud 
you know, anything that just that's memorable that stands out in your mind? Man, I just think it was uh I got a lot of memories, man, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, they ain't all good, but it's just, you know, it's just part of the business, man. It's a business thing, and when you're young like that, man, I, I mean, to me, I'm more, I think my greatest memory of, of it was our first show that we got paid, man, and watching two little young guys and me and some more friends, and we drove all the way to Louisiana to make $180. We was happy, you know, and, it was, <laughs> yeah. and and we trying to divide that up, and they like, Russ, we got to give you something, and I'm saying, some of what, you know, but that's when it was all fun, man. You know, at the start, it was all yeah. fun, laying down the track and trying to get the record right and going from to a studio, not liking it, going to another studio. The guy messed up, and he busts out laughing as he done deleted the whole thing, and we like, what? We've been in here eight wow. hours, though. But through it all, man, we was able to laugh and joke, and it wasn't. It wouldn't. It was just like you, you know, when you're young and you're doing something, man, and it's like it's fun. And then the rest comes after, you know, when you, yeah. you hit number one on the radio, the whole thing changed. Every all the birds start chirping and telling you what what you should be doing or what they could have did for you. Everybody can say that afterwards. Exactly. The person who says it first, you know, but, you know, when it comes down to, you know, at the end, it's always about numbers and money. So, right. But it was the whole process of making the record was, was the best part for me. Right. And so then after that, y'all ended up getting the deal with, with Jive Records. But before Jive Records had signed y'all, it was, it was a whole slew of labels that was wanting to sign y'all, right? Yeah, man. Actually, uh, we had put out the record, and uh, within about, I would say, the first, like, two or three weeks, Nasty Mix sent us a $15,000 contract over the facts. And we was like, I ain't going to lie, because I sold music. I was a big kid sensation and Sir Mix-a-Lot fan, so I knew yeah, it was Nasty yeah, Mix. Yeah. But right. I knew 15000 wasn't going to overwhelm. It wasn't something that we was going to sign to. That just seemed very low. I mean, because we had put that much into it ourselves, so I, we didn't right. we didn't take that. And then it was later, a few people called, and nothing really happened. But the two people who showed the most interest was uh, Polygram and Jive. They was like in a bidding war for it. Wow. Yeah, and uh, and then with Jive, you know, how can I put? It? I was looking at. You know, a lot of the acts that was on Jive with UGK at that time and the acts that had came later on, uh, from from my point of view, it just seemed like Jive didn't know what to do with a group like UGK. I agree. I, I just think they wanted to water them down because they, they thought they would have more uh, commercial success if they watered them down a little bit if you listen to what they did to the first single, Tell Me Something Good, all those jerks and jumps. They just wanted to make it more available to the masses, but if they would have just left it like it was, it was going to get there. I mean, we sold 40,000 units on our own on cassettes in two months. How do you think, man, we was going to get there regardless, exactly where they are. They was. I mean, they ended up at the end doing their own thing. They had grew as artists so they could make it more better, but they didn't have to change. Jive just didn't really know what they had or how to use it. 
Exactly. Right. And I remember we had a, a discussion a good while back, and we we just kind of felt that uh, if Jive would have let UGK have that creative control, we would have gotten way more music from UGK than we did. I mean, are we satisfied with the five albums being such big fans that we are, but it seemed like we could have gotten so much more from UGK as a group. Yeah. I feel that too, but I, I think you really can't just blame Jive on that. I think, like, you have to blame the group too because if you if you're the producer and you're the orchestrator of the music, why is it taking you two to three years to do a record? Does it? You can't you can't make five albums take ten years to do. You know, right. I know you you got to do things and you're not happy with your contract. But as I tell every artist I ever talked to, they they never happy, and nobody's happy with money. I'm not happy with downloads, but I know this is the word I got to deal with. But if you just go on and do what you owe the company and don't take no more money, then you're done. And then you can go out and sign a better deal. But you can't just hold out and say, give me more, give me more, and I ain't going to give you the record. I mean, come on. How long should it take an artist to do an album if you only got a five-album deal and you've already gave them one? So it really took you 10 years to drop four albums. Because you already gave them the first one. Right. And especially right. if you read right. the contract, if it say albums, it don't say five years. It don't say ten years. It say five albums. So if you take the rest of your life to do them five albums and you still don't do them, you still owe that company another record. So, you know, you got to just, if they own five albums, I'm going to be done in four years. If I right. got something to do with it, if I'm not happy, it was, I signed with Ford, I said I wouldn't do an album deal. I did years. I get. I said I signed for two years. I didn't like it after I dropped the first things. We went on hiatus and we just dealt with our regular stuff we had. And then exactly on the two years was up, we dropped some more records. I mean, that's what you have to do. You have to live up to the papers. Not only for you, it's it's not it's not just for them. It's for you and them. You just got to do what's on that paper. Right. Yes. Yeah, you know, like they, like they say, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. That's right. Because yeah. they trying to get the most for their side, and you have to get the most for your side. And and I'm not going to say it was a great deal. It was. We was looking at the, the money. We was young. It's your first experience, so you're going to make mistakes. I hate what those mistakes costed us, you know, but at the end, we didn't have to sign with them. We could have took the short way and just went on and did the solo thing and stayed independent. We would have made more money. It would have been a harder group, and we would have just we'd have been happier. But when you rushing and somebody throwing those numbers at you, you like we're gonna take this deal. And then here comes all the other people trying to get involved in it. Yep. But I definitely think I think that honestly, Jai probably holding songs that they didn't clear, that's probably really jamming. I know for a fact they're holding some songs, but it's like you can't clear the sample, who they going to get to redo it. Bun probably don't want to do it. You know, it's just like it's just probably going to sit there forever until somebody decides to go on and do it. Right. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, when y'all had did um, you know, the first album, 
uh, too hard to swallow. You know, they said that uh, some producers was brought in and they didn't, uh, TLC couldn't produce the album, like produce it and mix it like he really wanted to, and some, some songs was dropped off the album, which ended up becoming the band album later on. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily, like, that was partly true. We did need help completing the album, but it wasn't because Kemp couldn't do it. He wasn't making the effort to do it. Oh. But the band songs, Jive didn't want them because of the controversial nature of those songs. Pregnant P and The Mother Ain't Mine, they didn't want no parts of that. But So when they was right, just going right. to just be like they was going to keep it, and I was like, well, shoot, can we get them back? And, of course, they said, if you buy them back. And I was oh, like, man, we're going to take it back. So we ended up having to pay fifteen grand. For our two tracks, they were going to throw away, but, I mean, still set of the day. So what can you do? And Jive was cool with it, and to me, I looked at it as it would have been a great way for us to make extra money because Jive said, hey, if we this is all cool, y'all want to do this again, the ones we don't want, y'all can put them out again. We, was going, we would have ate all year long off that deal. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, not too long after we was we weren't getting along good. Right. Right. And 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 another thing, what a lot of people don't know, you know, Southwest Wholesale had became one of the biggest distribute distributors uh in, in Texas. And but a lot of people don't know it was you and UGK y'all helped pave that way. How how did that come about? Well, they actually bought some of the UGK as a favor to me because I had been a customer for a couple of years in my little shop I had in the flea market. And we moved units, so I was buying from them. So when I did my project, they actually wasn't – there was no belief in it. They just said, oh, give us 100 because, you know, this little guy, he buys from us all the time. We're going to buy some of his. So they bought 100, called back in a couple of days, needed 100. Then next thing you know, they was like, hey, you know, let us get 5000 and and then next thing I know, I met I met the owner. I never had met him before. In my three years of buying, I seen him, but I had never sat down and talked to him. Next thing I'm in lunch with him, and then he kind of became like you know my little advisor. And me and Bud sat there with him. I mean, I never heard anything from him about the numbers. I mean, but at the end, they just if you like, I always tell people if Bun sitting right there with me. How am I cheating him if he's right there with me in the meeting? Right, right. 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 If you're sitting at the, here hearing the talk, how do you believe I'm cheating you? If you're with me every day before I had a right-hand man, Bun was my right-hand man. So right. It's just, but it, I understand because there's things that uh, with the falling out between us that I could have did better, but I was young. I'm only 23 years old, too. And I was like, right. you know, I don't need them. I don't. I never truly believed that that was the end of me if I lost them. So when things started going sour, I was on to the next thing. I'd already recorded Point Blank album. I had the band, and I was working. But, you right. know, when you lose your first group, it's kind of set you back. It did set us back, though, what we was doing a few years. Right. Yeah, and um, when, when did you meet, end up meeting – SPC and 
putting on Point Blank and PSK 13. I'm at Point Blank uh, right after I completed UGK. Point Blank brought me an album done. That Phone to Bad Dreams was done. I ain't have to do nothing but pay the producers and record it, you know, for real in the studio. It was the same wow. album. It was all, he came, all the songs was dead. It, you know, we had to drop a couple because we couldn't get them dead. But the whole album was done. Point Blank was probably one of the most prolific workers that I've worked with in the whole time. You give Blank his time, his date, he going to get it done, always. And you didn't have to do nothing. No babysitting. He just did it himself. So I always like say, I was the luckiest guy in the world. I mean, my first projects was, they just fell into my lap. Right. And so when I when we finished uh, UGK's album for Jive, while we was recording their album, we was recording Point Blank album. Okay. At the same time. So I basically was recording two projects at the same time. And uh, we got it done. And, you know, it was tough, you know, because Jive kept the samples. You couldn't use the samples. And at that time, Young Pimp is sampling way more than he getting keys played and stuff. And we don't know no better. So we had already did it. Our first record, we sampled everything and put it out. You know, we, we didn't try and clear it until we realized we had something. Right. So now we're doing it. And Jive is like, no, you can't use this. Then the song back, and that's what was frustrating for Pimp because he coming from Port Arthur to Houston to record. And, you know, of course, you know, artists, they never make it on time. And I'm here booking studio time, and you getting charged. Next thing I know, me and Bun is trying to make tracks and making songs. You know, and, I mean, they're not Pimp songs, but we was trying to get that album delivered. Right. So, you know, and then Pimp came in and said, hey, Bun got a solo song. I need a solo song. And he did what he had to do. But I just think if we could have just worked it out a little better, I think the Too Hard to Swallow would have been a much better album. Right. You know, we had a lot of sample clearances. We had people that wasn't pimp trying to just, we was trying to get done what we, we was obligated to do. And, uh, you know, when when you started, Big time rappers, you know, rap a lot was in full swing making some moves. So, did y'all ever approach each other, you and Jay Prince, about doing in the business together? Jay called me, but uh, if uh, if this man is offering me this, and this man is offering me this, and he trying to beat that man, but you come in as late in the game and just say you want him, but you're not matching the number. It's not an option for me. You know, it's not it's not even an option. I mean, it could have been that probably something different if I'm in that organization or I'm already working with them. Of course I would have probably did it over there, but to me it was like it was never an option. And then even when I we voted, me, Bun and Chad, we voted where we wanted to go. I voted to stay independent. They Jive told them they was going on a uh, tour with Too Short and left the high now. So they was they were sold. And you know, that was just one of the things I learned about Jive would be they would be selling your dreams, man. And uh, you know, of course you when you're young, eighteen, seventeen, you know, you like you're gonna take the dream. 
And when they wanted to go with Jive, that's why I went with Jive. It was the best deal of the me oh, as far as the money, but I just felt like we would have made way more money if we was on our own. Right. Yeah. You know, and just, uh, you know, and, and, and too bad about that, you know, because, like I say, even with the albums that y'all, that UGK did put out, I mean, they were such classics and just, Imagine if y'all would have just had that full creator control to do what y'all wanted to do. Do what we want to do. Do it in the time we want to do it. And if if everything rolling, we happier, we probably were doing double the work. You know, because when we were yeah. talking about it, the plan was for Pimp to always do the get over the production for big time. And you know, it just it just started, man. You know the. the things that divide you just started and that we just never could reel it back in where you had three guys that took a whole over uh, almost two years to get this record done and then we get it done and we couldn't work out our differences or the misunderstandings that we was having just over it and that bothers me to this day because them was my boys then when, when i think of having my first little homeboys that I hang with, you know, for two years straight, we riding together, we talking about it, and we made it happen, but, you know, we didn't all get to laugh about it later, which we laughed about it a few times when we talked, and whenever we always was together, it was always love, you know, but, you know, we just wasn't able to fix it, Right. and I think later, like, Pimp talked to me, and Pimp said, you know, that he regretted it too, and I regretted it too because my ego got involved, and I knew that I was being wrongly accused. So that made me harden and be tougher than what I had to be. Right. And uh, Super Tight had wasn't Super Tight originally supposed to have been a double disc album. That I don't know, man. I was totally shut out of all the recording at that time. Went to get Super Tight done. I signed an agreement where. I was telling Jive that I don't want nothing but my check. I signed up. We was 50-50 on that stuff. Jive sent me a check the next day, and they they recorded that with Byron Hill. And um, I didn't, I didn't, I got the check. The next day, I got a letter saying that I did not deliver the album in a timely manner, and I was replaced from the group on the contract. Because UGK was on a production deal, you know, big time was signed to Jive. UGK, was, we just signed for the services of UGK. Oh, right, right. So we, we, they just said, oh, they're going to replace you on the contract. And, and another thing was always the most bitter pill to swallow was that these dudes that you, being a young dude, that you invested your last in, you, I went around and begged people to even, you know how many people I let hear that CD, that, that demo, after we recorded it? I could not get one person to give me $1,000 to buy the post. Not one person. Everybody who heard it, nobody believed. I was starting to doubt it myself. And these dudes, we had a 14-point deal. To replace me, they signed themselves as an artist for a seven-point deal. So that means these dudes that I showed all this love to, they was willing to give up half of the money just to get rid of me. Money that... I already said we fifty fifty partners. So you giving away you just threw away my half of the money just to get rid of me. Wow. 
And that's, that's the part that just, I never was able to swallow that pill. And I barely ever talk about it, but it just bothers me. People keep always on the interview and talk about it, and it's just, it's a bitter pill to swallow. Right. And so from running a labor perspective, how was the business back then as far as the industry goes versus the way it is today? Yeah, honestly, I think it's an artist is, you know, in a little better shape now because there's so much more. You got other avenues of making your money on your own. You know, I don't really, I'm not really a fan of the streaming system, but I'm a fan of my music can get everywhere without the major labels, and I still can be making money. Back then, it was like you got to be in the major label system to really play the game. I don't. I can make that same Southern Way mixtape and it come out and it do the same thing. I'd be doing double or triple the numbers and everybody buying it on their phones and pads and computers. But, of course, more bootleggers eat me up because they listen to it for free or stealing it and pressing it up themselves. But, you know, got to take the good with the bad. But I wouldn't have had to sell to Jive to want to get where I wanted to get. Right. But And I think it's just, you know, people are a little more wiser. You know, some of us then took the hard knocks. So you, you know more. You're able to do more. You won't walk into a situation where you, you're sitting in the room talking to a lawyer and you just yourself. Right. And, and you know, dealing with UGK, you know, Mama West, she was a big part of the group too. You know, how was it dealing with, Mama West. I think it, I mean, it was great. It was something you could admire because somebody's mom was in there. But at the same breath, how can you really, how hard can you be on your business when you're being as a black man and you're talking to somebody else? Black mother. Black men love their mamas. You have all the most respect for mamas because a lot of us mamas raised us by themselves. So it it made things hard when it's time when you're trying to resolve conflicts because how mad can you be when you know somebody mama come on the phone and they cough and they might be a little sick and you're like oh are you all right but I'm really mad because I'm trying to get my money straight but then I'm you know I'm being nicer because you are somebody's mama and I got respect for my mama and she taught me how to respect somebody's mama right but it was it was a great thing and it was a, it was you know. It was a tough thing. It's, a, it's kind of a touchy situation at times. But I have, I really have respect for Mama West, though. Actually, the guy who cheated him, me, I took the mama to New York with me when we signed. Wow. And they, and she was right there, too, looking at the contracts and stuff as they came over. I didn't, this how I was being very open. I took everybody involved with me to New York. And at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so along the way, uh, did y'all uh, bring in a lawyer and they were saying, uh, how can I put it, when they started going over everything and then, you know, you was realizing that some things just wasn't, 
really the thing, the person who was saying that first and foremost was probably the most shadiest person that you could ever be involved with, which was Byron Hill, the so-called video director who was all in that year when we shot the first video, tell me something good. And the same guy who sued him and got him in tax problems. I mean, it's just a person show you who they are. If people call and saying we did not get paid for filming this video and the company is saying we paid Byron, how do you make him your manager? Right. You know right. what you're going to get? You're going to get something shady. He's shady, you know, and he he never changed. Wow. And I don't know what happened to him. I just, I cut all communication with him. There was no reason for him to call me. Right. And he was the first person that started really saying, oh, y'all should be getting this and y'all should be getting that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he was another reason why you holding the, the money up because you, you're making them do so much over the top of what you need. You know, I don't have to stay in the Crown Plaza if the another room right across the street is half the money and it's, you know, it's cool. I believe in just get the work done at the best cost that you can, and that's what you do. I don't have to floss and do all that stuff while I'm doing something. And I think that was very instrumental in us surviving it like we did with the artists we had after that because I can work a budget and I'm going to bring it in on budget. Uh, and uh, around that time when, you know, Big Time, Rap-A-Lot, and uh, Swap House, you know, all y'all was making moves, how how was the, the Houston music scene at that time? Man, it was great, you know. The whole scene was great because people listened. You know, they want to hear the new person. They want to say, I heard it first. So I, if you play something new in your shop, you know, People are going to be like, who that is? You know, who's that, man? And you show them, you know, the set CD or whatever, and they they make the choice from there. And they also believe the shop. With, with it being more record shops, a record shop owner can be like, I like this guy. This guy is selling a lot. And the people who buy will usually, you know, take his word and try it. Now, there's very few shops. And it's like people just got to go with what they like or what everybody else gives you know, so it was way better then, man. And I think it was cool. I mean, Ghetto Boy, Suave House was jamming, Eight Ball, Teela, loved all that. We was doing our thing. We had this. And then they were all catering to kind of like we all hardcore underground, but they all different. So it's like you can cater to whole different crowds. Exactly. So how did you end up hooking up with DJ Scoop? And that was that was funny, man. We was at uh, we just needed to do a cheap record, man. And uh, I had heard a screw tape because you know I still had the shop by then. And uh, I said, man, cheapest record we can do. I'm about saying I'm gonna try and do a screw record. And so I put out the you know the notice that I wanted to meet with him. And uh, when they came, I asked him what he needed to do it. And you know we we did the agreement. And we, we got the stuff, and all that first record was was just big-time songs. I don't even think we recorded a song to do, you know, to go on that record. We just took whole records we had. Put the record out, and expectations was real low. 
I was trying to sell like two thousand, man. We put the record out, ended up selling like seventy thousand. And so I told him, I said, Well, you know, that was really just a big time compilation. I want you to do your own record. And we that that's how we started on three three in the morning. And it was like but three in the morning was just by then it was just it was it was big. You know. Three in the morning is actually the biggest record we ever had. So. Oh, yeah, because three in the morning, it's a timeless classic, and that album was magic, man. And mm-hmm. So when three in the morning had dropped, what, once again, uh, what was the atmosphere like when it dropped and it was getting so much play? And, you know, how, how ecstatic was everybody, especially you and DJ Scoop? Oh man, we was man, we was ecstatic just to get it done. It took us two years. It took us like two years. We did the rec- we did part one and part two, and before we could turn it in, we did the pre-orders, and the pre-orders was over a hundred thousand. So we knew we couldn't do it because we hadn't cleared a sample or got the license into none of the songs. So what I did was I met with my attorney and I met with an intellectual property attorney. And all I wanted to know was how much we was going to get to keep. And the property attorney said nothing. I said, oh, well, that ain't going to work. So we scrapped that, and we went back and did it the right way, and it ended up being all local people, but it still was a classic. Yeah. I mean, Screw, Screw can make magic, man. If you listen to them records, man, Screw, at 3 in the morning, it just hits that point where it's like going, and it's cool. And then it hit that point where it just starts rising, and then, the music is rising with it, and so by the end, you know, by the time it go draped up and dripped out, you was like, you was banging on the wall, you was crunk. Yeah, and the record and you, just sold and sold, man. Right. Didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, when you had brought up, you know, swinging and banging our number, the other day I had bought, I had seen on Facebook. Yeah, the mm-hmm. other day I had seen on Facebook, Demo Sherman was saying. Demo Sherman was saying, um, "Who created the, the term swinging and banging?" And couldn't nobody come up with that. I couldn't so, tell you either. <laughs> I, at first, I, I heard it, it was just it was ESG record. So I don't know who created it. I didn't even when I heard that record, I wasn't even uh, I wasn't involved with even none of it. All I knew was when we started recording, we had to have that song. Okay, let's say, um, Russell, hold on, hold on a minute. No problem.
We are having technical difficulties right now, Russell. So give us uh, one more minute, okay? Russell, are you there?
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.